You're listening to Creator Catalyst, the podcast where we dive into the nitty gritty of what it takes to be a successful YouTuber, influencer, and content creator. I'm your host, Leija Miller. I'm a lawyer, YouTuber, content creator, and entrepreneur with over 300,000 followers across multiple platforms. I'm here every week talking about this business and what you need to succeed. So buckle up kiddos and let's dive in. Oh, and don't forget to check out my free masterclass where I teach you my three-part formula for YouTube success. If you're ready to finally just get started on your YouTube dreams already, then this masterclass is for you. Check the link in the description or go to delusionmediamasterclass.com to register today. Okay, let's get into it. Today, we're chatting with Kimberlea Morse, a true crime YouTuber with a nearly 400,000 subscribers whose hour plus long videos get hundreds of thousands of views. We'll talk all about her research process, how her channel and niche has changed over the years, hence she didn't always do true crime, and how to find your voice on YouTube. I loved having Kimber on the show and I'm excited for you to hear all the knowledge that she has to share. This podcast is filmed live in front of the Catalyst Club audience. If you wanna get in on future live recordings and exclusive Q&A that you won't hear anywhere else, you can join the club by signing up for my course, Catalyst Academy, at the link in the description. Now let's get into the interview. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I guess you didn't see the three hour and a half video that just... (laughs) I did not. (laughs) I wouldn't expect you to have watched watched it, but yeah, that's probably the longest one I've ever done. And it was like all in one video instead of breaking it up. Oh my gosh. Do you do multiple part videos often? I don't anymore. Um... I used to, but I, I'm really close with my community and I pull them all the time and they're like, you know what? No. So I'm like, okay, I won't then. (laughs) However, I do have some things coming up and one might be a series. So we'll see. Oh, cool. Okay. Awesome. Well, we can get into that. So I wanted to start with, if you could just talk us through your YouTube journey, why you started and kind of what the trajectory has looked like. Yeah. So I started my YouTube channel when I was in law school. I don't know if you know I went to law school, but I did. I um, saw that in the in yeah. your like about section. I was like, wait, how have we not talked about that? <laughs> we didn't. I, I just because I'm not. I mean, I'm not like in the world anymore of it. So I was just like, you know, that's her thing, and this is my thing. And but I did go to law school. I um, was really bored, and I was in a new city. So I knew about YouTube, you know, just randomly putting up videos of yourself and talking into a camera. And I actually had one of those like little digital cameras back then, the small ones, but I just sat on my couch and I was like, Hey guys, I'm in law school. I'm bored. I'm a law student. And these were some of the things that were happening to me. So I just kind of put them out there. Like, you know, people in my class that were mean or professors that were weird. I took a lot of those videos down, (laughs) but that was my first time on YouTube is just me kind of being myself and not really having like a plan. And that was back in 2010, I think 2010. So I did that. And those, and this is really pivotal to it because I left those videos up there, just the first few videos. And years later, now I'm, you know, graduated from law school. I'm working in a corporate job. I moved across the country. I have a one-year-old baby. Like a lot of things happened in my life that were, I guess what we would categorize as like normal normal job hunting and like getting and stuff like that. And I moved from Florida to California for a job. I worked for Skechers. It's a, I'm sure people know what it is. It's a shoe company. So I worked with them and um, I loved my job. I was like very satisfied with it, but my daughter being three years old, she was just getting into YouTube as kids were watching it on their iPads. So I'm one of those moms that allowed her to do YouTube kids. And, you know, we put it on and while she was eating in the morning and, I started realizing she was mimicking 
mm -hmm. um, people in the mirror, she would say like, hi, welcome to my YouTube channel. I thought that was really cute, but I was also concerned because I'm like, what? <laughs> and I never went on YouTube unless I was looking for something like how to fix something. Mm -hmm. So I never knew there was this culture of people like us who were making a living, doing something they love. And it just, it hit me all at once because when I started researching, like, what is a YouTube channel? Like I thought we all have YouTube channels, but I wasn't using mine the way that a creator was. But when I went on the back end, because my YouTube channel still existed, just like we all have like the creator studio and, you know, your regular YouTube. Um, I noticed that I had made three cents in revenue. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, those videos were just out there for years and they weren't getting a lot of views. I think one of them had 400 and I was like, 400? Oh my gosh, like I never looked. Mm -hmm. So when I saw that it was three cents, I was like, that's interesting. Because what if, and I started doing the math in my head, like, what if you had this many that? So I actually went, I was at work and I went right on to YouTube and I started searching, like, what is this all about? How do you make money with YouTube? And luckily for me, I never had to do the requirements because I was already monetized. Mm -hmm. So they never unmonetized or like demonetized my channel. And I have always used my channel. I know a lot of people are like, should I make another channel and start over? But I've used the same channel from its birth. Um, I've gone through many different genres and still remained on the same channel. Yeah. So I was just ready to go after that. I was like, tell me how to do this. Totally. I feel like I got into that that way too, where I was like, wait a minute, people are making really good money yeah. at this. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you already like doing this and mm -hmm. then you realize, oh, I liked that before and I didn't know that it could make money. So yeah. I figured it out. And then you kind of went through a few different genres, right? Can you walk us through those? Yes. So when I decided to, I started my daughter's channel first. She's actually going to be revamping it, but she started, oh. I started hers first and it started gaining a lot of traction. I think she got up to like 20,000 followers or something. And wow. um, it was great. It was fun. But as many know, there's a lot of laws and regulations and things with ch children um, as far as like working and how long they can and all that stuff. So I just decided to do my own thing. And what I was doing was I would just randomly find something around the house to talk about because I didn't have enough money to be like buying things. So I'd be like, oh, look at this new thing I got or maybe this will help moms. And I had no idea where I was going with any of it, but I just figured it start. And that's how the Pop Sockets um, journey began. Mm -hmm. Talk about the Pop Sockets journey. So just like I had said, I don't know where my phone is like, just, I had my phone with me one day and I was like, you know, I still use pop sockets by the way, but I was like, <laughs> you know, this is such a great grip, Like it's so great for your phone. I can be having my groceries and my daughter and I'm running around. And I was like, I'm going to tell people on the internet how much I love it. The cool thing was that pop sockets had just started. So I caught the wave like before it even became a wave, like it was mm -hmm. just starting to come up. And then at the same time we were all doing musically. So before TikTok, there was Musical.ly. So yeah. I was on Musical.ly. I was a big Musical.ly creator and I was a lot younger back then, okay? But I was like, because <laughs> <laughs> you can still see some of those videos on my TikTok. It's pretty hilarious. But I um, I loved Musical.ly. I thought it was fun. And it was all lip syncing. It wasn't what it is now. But but because you had to hold your phone in such a way to do Musical.ly, having a grip was just, it, it was a must. Mm -hmm. And people were starting to use phone grips more than just like, the average everyday phone grip user because we were content creators using it now. And I just caught the wave at the right exact time when everyone was looking for a really stylish grip um, that they could use on their phone, but also that would really hold 
you know, securely for TikTok or musically. Mm -hmm. So I, I put one video out. It was just me saying like, it's still on my channel. I'd never erased those, but it was just like, Hey everyone, like check out my pop sockets, my favorite grip. And I woke up one morning. I just remember I was like, what? There were like 4,000 views on it. And I was <laughs> like, why? Cause like before that, and you know, I don't know, like the average view I would get was like 70. Um, mm -hmm. and I did that for a long time. I mean, at the point I did the pop sockets, I think I had been doing it for almost a year. Okay. So, I mean, I had never really hit anything like that before. Wow. Yeah. And then, because when I look at your channel now, it's like those videos have millions of views. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. then you kind of, you kind of jumped on the wave and just kind of kept making the pop socket videos, right? Yeah. So after that first video, I used to always, um, I would, I was a big creator that would look to other creators and I had like Roberto Blake and Gerald Eves and, and Sean Cannell, like all those people that we probably know of <laughs> if you're in the space. And I was, you know, looking for every little tidbit of information I could find on like what to do, you know, like what, when it's starting to take off, what do you do? Mm -hmm. And at the time, the thought process was kind of what it is now, which is like niche down. However, PopSockets is not a niche. So I got kind of pigeonholed, but I didn't mind at the time because look, it got me over a hundred thousand subscribers. I got a silver play button out of it. Um, I built an amazing community of phone lover, like phone fashion lovers. I even created a brand at the time, but it came from that one video. And what ended up happening is people just wanted to know more. And since PopSockets was so new, they didn't have a PR team. They didn't have people making content for them. So I was the only one doing it. So I was like, well, if they, if they need to know how to take it off their phone, sure. You can go to the pop sockets website, but wouldn't it be better for me to just show you? So mm -hmm. I started just doing all the how to's like how to take it off your phone, how to change it out, how to create your own design. And people thought I owned pop sockets. Like they really, <laughs> <laughs> they would, they would write to my email and I told pop sockets knows all this. Like I've sat down with them many times and it's just funny, but they, people would be writing my email address, which was like something to do with my name. And they were like, ah, oh, my pop socket is late. And I was like, you realize I'm not pop socket. <laughs> like I don't own the brand. It's just, I'm just a person. So that really started um, opening pop sockets eyes up to, oh, there's this creator and she's kind of doing something we haven't seen before. Why is she doing this? Um, and I was able to be like one of their first like affiliates mm. and um, you can do the math, but I sold a lot of phone grips mm -hmm. and um, I was making a very decent amount of money back then. <laughs> Because the um, the affiliate program was one dollar per like per sale or something wow. like that. It was it was massive, and so they changed that very soon <laughs> afterward when they realized like we can't do that. Um, <laughs> but they were in their infancy as well, so we kind of grew together. So it was fun. Wow. Yeah. So talk about kind of the business you built out of that because you had like a website and a brand and everything. Yeah. So that would come. I would say that I was doing the phone fashion thing for at least a couple years. It might have been more. But up until 2020, I was still kind of in that niche, if you will, like the phone fashion niche. Um, but I decided, because I was working with a lot of brands like Velvet Caviar and Case Defy and Casemate, and they were sending me big PR boxes for free. And then they would want me to obviously do an unboxing. And I was not savvy at the time. I didn't know I should be, you know, maybe charging for my services. Mm -hmm. And I would just be so excited to get um, new stuff for my collection. And of course they let me pick the ones I wanted. So for me, it was a big incentive, but looking back, 
I think we were all kind of new to this. I think brands were kind of new to it. So I don't blame anyone for kind of not maybe paying me for, <laughs> for some of the effort I put in, but I was excited and I started um, joining the affiliate programs for them, which I learned from PopSockets. And then I started realizing, well, if I can sell someone else's phone cases, why wouldn't I just have my own brand? Mm -hmm. Because I'm the one doing the work. Like, I mean, obviously they're doing the work of making their product, but as far as like promotion wise, I was using all of my networking and reach. Um, so I decided to look into how to produce my own phone cases and I went all out. I mean, I had like a full line of phone cases made by the same people who were making, you know, velvet caviar. Mm -hmm. So it was a really cool experience to learn, you know, behind the scenes at that. But through that, just to let you guys know, it's like, it wasn't my forte. I don't like retail. Um, I'm not a customer service person at all. Mm -hmm. And I'm also not very good at like getting back to emails and stuff like that. So definitely had some complaints here and there, but I was trying. I was one person. Yeah. How did you transition then from the pop sockets into true crime? Well, okay. So going back to like before so on, on the inside of everything there were things that i always enjoyed i guess you could say and talked about with friends and considering i went to law school have a degree in psychology and sociology went on to be a student in death investigation those were just things that i liked that i didn't really you know obviously with my classmates it was a different story like we have facebook groups for death investigation and we talk about autopsies and we and i don't really say this on my channel but I see a lot of that stuff on an everyday basis. I'm still in classes. So that's still something I'm pursuing because I don't like stopping anything. Mm -hmm. um, I like going all the way through with it, but it's, I never really thought about doing anything that I love, like on the inside publicly. I always wanted to find, oh, what's working? Like, oh, vlogging or beauty or whatever it was. So I was always talking about true crime and I was always watching shows and I was always having those discussions, but they were just private. And then it was around 2020, I think, um, my best friend and I, we just started to get, I don't know why, but we started getting obsessed with just going deep into the Chris Watts case. And this was something we did privately and we watched over 4,000 hours of videos. <laughs> we have a playlist, so we know exactly how long yeah. it was, but we were just really into understanding the minds of the people involved. And she's also like me, like very into the same thing. So we started a podcast um back then that you know it's not there anymore but it was called critique a killer <laughs> forgive me <laughs> don't judge um because it was with my best friend and it wasn't supposed to be taken very seriously but we were very respectful and sensitive but we were basically saying like why are criminals so dumb sometimes mm -hmm. and with a legal background too you know there were some things that i would talk about that you know why certain things are done a certain way and the process and procedures but we had that podcast and that's kind of where my channel grew from. It was just something fun for my best friend and I to do. And it was during the pandemic. There wasn't a lot to do. We were, you know, separated. And um, this was a great way for her and I to, to bond on the weekends. Like we would go live on a Friday on stereo app. I don't know if you remember that. It's kind of like, mm -hmm. it's kind of like, it's kind of like Clubhouse, but it was called Stereo and it's a live podcasting um, app. I don't know right. if it still exists, but my podcast used to be there and it was a live podcast and then we would save it and then put it on Spotify. Okay. And then how did you, did you start doing solo videos shortly after that? So first I put our old 
podcast episodes that did not have our face. It was just voiceover. I mean, like our voices from the podcast. And then I would put pictures on the screen. Okay. Um, so I first started with a few of those. They're not on my channel anymore, but I put some of those up because I was testing the waters. I had been through a lot of different niches and there had been some that I did okay with, but I feel like deep down inside when I did some soul searching, like it wasn't for me. And I didn't want to really jump in all the way unless I knew I could handle, you know, everything that comes with this and making it like a real job. So yes, I started with the me and her. And then um, eventually I just told her like, Hey, I'm going to try to do a video and see like what happens mm -hmm. on my own. Yeah. And then from there you, you experienced a lot of growth when you switch niches, right? Um, okay. So that's a little bit of a, um, I would say like misconception, but nothing negative. I'm just pointing out that like, I went back to my analytics cause I have a lot of friends ask me like, how did you, you know, succeed in doing this? Yeah. And my videos were getting nothing. They were getting like a hundred views. I think the most I had was 500 in the first couple months of doing it. So I wouldn't say that right away I was like, wow, this is really working. As a matter of fact, I quit. And, um, I think like three or four videos in of just me, I was trying to find who I was. Cause like you're your person in real life, but then what are you once you're on the screen? You know, like, what do you want to be? And in some of them, I was drinking wine and other ones. And I didn't feel like it was me. I was like, that's not me. It's just, it's something's off. And I decided like, maybe this isn't for me, you know, like maybe, I don't know. And then of course I was getting the comments. They were constructive, but some of them were just like, these videos don't even add anything. Like somebody's already done this topic. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that because I wasn't, I didn't know how to do research. I didn't know, you know, I knew how to do research, but I didn't know how to research other creators, what they were doing and um, find out, okay, maybe I should try to, you know, do something different. So I did quit for like two months, I think. And in that time I went on Reddit and I started to type in like, what do people hate about true crime YouTubers? What do people want uh, to watch? And then I started getting an idea of like, okay, I think I am the kind of person that this vibes with. I think I do believe a lot of the things that people want because I'm a viewer mm -hmm. and I'm like, what do I want? And what I would always want is when I left from watching an oxygen network show, I would be like, but why did that happen? Like there were, there were facts that didn't connect. And I would spend hours just like finding out who the victims were and like why they were in that place at that time. And that was my favorite thing. So I was like, you know, maybe I should just pretend I'm talking to like a best friend and just go through the same research I would be doing anyway. Mm -hmm. I don't the videos. I love that. Yeah. I, I think the idea of, of, as a consumer, often when we are creating content, we're creating content we would probably consume and, or if we're creating content we wouldn't consume, that often is a sign like, maybe it's not the right thing yeah. for you, but I like that kind of thinking from the angle of, okay, wh what do I want? How, how, right. how do I feel as a viewer of this? I think it's really easy to get lost in the, in the weeds of like your own creation and forget that it's, there's a viewer on the other side. Yeah. And before I went into your crime, um, I was in a couple other niches that I tried out, you know, just different things I was interested in. And it, I think it's really good to have interest and it's really good to develop uh, something creative from them. But then I realized also, cause I went through a pretty rough patch with trying to decide whether to continue with certain things. And it's hard because on one hand, the community can be rooting for you because they like your approach to something, but 
deep down inside, sometimes I was just like, you know, I don't know if I can continue doing this because it doesn't sit right with me. And it's not really an insult to anyone else. It's just like, it is a job. And just like anyone would choose something to, to do, you sometimes need to try it. And then you're like, I really love the community. I really love the aspects, but I'm not in love with my job. Like I'm not the, you know, what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so that was hard for me. And I did have to take a break and like really figure out what it was that was like bothering me about content and like what I did like about YouTube. So coming back, I felt like I was really in my element and I, I knew that this is what I was like eating, breathing, you know, all the time anyway. Mm -hmm. How do you handle those comments that you get? Cause like I've experienced similarly where your community can be great, but then you'll get comments of people critiquing or like when I've tried to do huge cases, people are always like, this is, you're not adding a single thing to this. This was a waste of my time. Why have you, you know, how do you handle comments like that or other mean comments? You know, and I tried to put myself in other people's shoes as a viewer. Cause I'm a viewer. I, I love watching, uh, what is it? What do I always watch? Um, like court TV. I am mm -hmm. a huge, I mean, that's what I did all the way back in law school. Like when I was bored, I was watching like the Jodi Arias case. I was watching like the OJ, not OJ Simpson. I was a long time ago. I was watching <laughs> girl. What? I did watch that, <laughs> but that's actually my, for where my first interest started was with my grandma with the OJ Simpson case, but there were just cases going on and court TV would be broadcasting. And I would sit in my living room, like studying and also watching because it had to do with what I was studying. And I thought it was, you know, I thought it made sense, but I still do that till this day. And like my poor boyfriend has to listen to like full trials <laughs> all day long because that's what I'm listening to. So I try to put myself in the viewer's shoes and I say, well, I'm a viewer too. And there are some videos I go to and I think certain things like I wouldn't necessarily think like, oh, this doesn't add anything because I see it from both lenses because I'm like, well, the creator has their own voice. So they're going to add something different regardless. But I also do stumble upon videos where I'm like, this has already been done totally the same way. Like we, we already listened to the same scanner thing. And what, like right now I'm following a case too. And I'm like, we already listened to all this. Mm -hmm. So I don't know because that creator might've been working for two weeks and they just got their video out. So maybe their video would have been first had they not wanted to perfect it or something. So, um, but how do I deal with it? Those are the things I think about like, well, they don't know what this process is like. And, you know, I know why I'm doing certain things and, um, I know what my intentions are. So I try to keep that in the forefront, but I also hide people's comments. Cause I, I also think it doesn't really foster a healthy community if there's like insults going around. Mm. And also, I don't know if you have this on your channel, but YouTube, I think they're rolling it out to more people, but you can put your own community guidelines in effect. Mm. So I have my own community guidelines. So I can report channels that are not following my specific community guidelines. And the first time you ever comment, my community guidelines will come up and it just talks about like, let's not talk about physical appearance of people, you know, things that they can't help, but that's really inappropriate. Um, keep it on the content. Mm -hmm. So the content's what's the most important. And I didn't want it to like veer in weird directions. Yeah, that's really smart. I haven't seen that. That's cool that they're kind of letting you have a little bit more control because I've seen that you can kind of add filters for certain words if you don't yeah. want them, but that's cool that you have more, even more control yeah. in that. It drops down right near your comment section and it'll say like Kimberlea's community guidelines. And then there's like three, you can make yourself and you write them yourself. Cool. They have to approve them, but you, you get with it, you know, you kind of mm -hmm. see the guidelines and understand what you can write. Yeah. That's really cool. So on that, on that note of like seeing other creators making content and feeling like they're not really adding, how do you differentiate yourself from all the other people making true crime content, even about the same stories that you're talking about? So I have some advice on that um, because I have friends who are trying to do 
their YouTube channels too. And I love talking for hours, even though I shouldn't <laughs> about all things, you know, YouTube related. I love diving into analytics, mm -hmm. but what I've learned, and this is, it, it's, it's in different stages. So I'm, you know, we're all growing in at our pace and there's different stages to being a YouTuber. And so in the beginning, I think it's vital, not even just important, but like it's a must that you are looking to find other channels that you relate to. So I found um, Sherilyn Dale when I first started really looking into YouTube, I was like, okay, who's doing true crime? That's like a newer person, like not somebody that's really big, but like a person I can relate to. And so I saw her channel and I was like, okay, I can see this is what people are vibing with. I can see myself adding my version of what people are liking nowadays. And this was like three years ago, I think. But I think um, it's vital to go and look and find other channels that you're resonating with that are in your niche and really look at the videos they were doing, what was popular. Um, I, it's a weird thing because in one hand, I think that it's completely appropriate to do the same exact cases that everybody else has done. On the other hand, I think that if you're using, if you're using that person's video as your research and you're not really, you know, developing it yourself and coming up with a different way to tell it or a different important aspect to it, then, you know, let the, let the viewers be the guide. Like if they don't like it, they don't like it. If they love it, great. So there's always going to be an audience for it. But for me, um, as I was going through the stages, I don't watch true crime YouTubers now like I did before. One, I don't have time to do it. I watch my friends if they have a new video. But the other reason why is because once you have your identity and you know, like, this is what I'm doing, it's super easy to get thrown off your game because someone new is on the scene and, you know, they're doing something different. That's great. But just don't let it, just don't let it derail you because guess what? you're your own person. And like, if you try to do what they're doing, they're already doing it that way. So I feel like let them, you know, have their own style and, and try to focus on like what makes you unique. So for me, I didn't really know what was going to make me unique in the beginning. I just was creating from my perspective. And then that's when people were saying like, oh, I really like when you go really in depth on things, like really detailed, like they wanted to know, they love hearing about like, when was her birthday? What was her favorite color? Why did she go to this school? Like those little details that some channels don't care about, you know, that's fine. Um, I love that. And so I started realizing like, wait a minute, there are other people who kind of wonder things like me. So that's kind of, I think, one of my differentiating factors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a great, like I, when I do my research for my videos, I specifically don't watch other YouTubers who have made videos yeah. about the same topic because yeah, I want to make sure that I'm really, because it really does psych you out when it you does. start seeing that and start thinking like, oh my God, they did that. It looks so much good, so much better than what I can do, or they, they're really in depth. I can never get, like I start getting in my own head. So mm -hmm. yeah, I fully avoid, but it's, it is important to know what's out there. It is. I think it's very important. And then I was telling a friend, I was like, yeah, I can't watch because I end up watching for way too long and finding out like, oh, well, they're doing this. Maybe should I, do, should I do that? And I had no plans to do that. And so I'm like, Kimber, no, like you got to stay in your own lane. And, you know, I, I can get new ideas from my own, you know, my own journey. But I also don't think there's anything wrong with being inspired by other creators and saying, you know what, I love whatever that is. Like, I love their set. I love their vibe. I love the way they dress. I love the way they, they tell a story and then using that to learn how to do it. And, and I think that's really important. Yeah, I totally agree. 
what is your process? So when you are doing your research and, and getting ready, what's your process like in the research stage and then in the filming and editing stage as well? So it's changed a lot from the beginning. Um, you know, you just start to learn your own processes and realize like, okay, this doesn't work for me. And I, I've, I'm very, very bad at organizing. Um, I don't, I, I don't have anything. Like I have my brain, that's all. So I don't write anything down. I don't put anything on notes. It's a wonder I make it to these things on time. <laughs> but my boyfriend helps a lot because he does do like little invitations and stuff on my phone. But I have my phone on do not disturb all day. Like I never take calls. I never look at it because it distracts me. And then I go on a rabbit hole down this one thing and then I don't work. Mm -hmm. But my process has changed a lot from the beginning. In the beginning, I would maybe like watch a show. Like maybe I'd watch like a Oxygen Network show or something. And then I'd like make notes on everything that happened. And then I would go and maybe look at Wikipedia, you know, just whatever is available. Um, and nowadays, like it's, it's a totally different process. And I'm Today I'm gearing up to start that process. So every week it kind of like starts over and I kid you not, I'm a weekly creator. So mm -hmm. nothing is created yet for not this week, but next week. So one week ahead, mm -hmm. but like I'm writing, I'm going to start writing today. And what I normally do is I start putting in things that I would like to know, like, I, I don't know which what one could be, but like since the Idaho, uh, university murders happened, I would maybe put in, this is before, like months ago, I would put in other, other college, you know, tragedies, and then I would start researching and then something would catch my eye. And when that case would catch my eye, I would see if anyone's doing it on YouTube. Cause that's the first thing I kind of, if it, if everybody's done it, it's like, exactly. Yeah. It's like, am I going to, how much do I want to spend on it? Um, and not that I won't, cause I just did the Coleman murders and that's been done many times, but sometimes you just find something new to talk about. Mm -hmm. but that's where I start. And then my research just goes on forever. Like as, as far as I'm going, I read books. I'm reading a book right now for my next case. Um, I'll do it on like Kindle cloud reader and I'll just read it all day. Mm -hmm. And then I just sit down and I use Dynalist, which is kind of like my hidden secret, I guess, of how I keep everything together. Mm. And it's, it's like Dynalist.io, I think. Okay. But it's a note taking and sort of like bullet pointing system. I don't know if you pay for it or not. I can't remember because I've had it so long. Mm -hmm. But um, the other thing you can do in there, because people ask me like, how did you do the Chandler Halderson like trial? Like, how did you do three videos and keep all the dates correct? And that's how I did it is um, I just would take what I was gonna do, like a phrase of what happened on Saturday the 21st or whatever, put it in there and then I would hashtag Saturday the 21st. And so all of those hashtags they stay together. So then at the end, when you're putting together your script, um, I'll, I would go, I go in timeline order. So I would go in order and I would say, I need everything to happen on Saturday the 21st. So I would click that hashtag and everything's going to come out mm -hmm. that was on the 21st. Mm -hmm. So that's how I organize when I'm writing my script. Cause the first few days are just no typing. It's just very quick notes. Like this happened date, this happened time. And then I hashtag them in all different orders, like autopsy, uh, police investigation, just whatever it is, interrogation notes. So that way it's, it's a big time saver. Yeah. That's a, that's a hot tip. Dynalist. Is it like D Y N A? Yep. Okay. Dynalist. Yeah. That's, and that's you know what? There might be a better one out there, but I like this one and it's what I got used to. So it's what I yeah. use and it's amazing. Yeah. 
That's great. Do you, so do you have a full script that you are reading off of for your videos? Yes. Okay. Do. do you use a I teleprompter? I use a teleprompter. Okay. Mm -hmm. How many pages is a script for an hour or two long video? A hour is 12,000 words. Wow. About 12,000 words. And then, you know, go from there. Like I'm doing, I think the last one I did was 22,000 words for, I, rec I recorded like a couple of days ago for this week's video. Um, I truly promise I'm trying to do shorter ones. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I do have, you know, a portion of my community that's like, we love the long ones and I want to do like one long one a month and try to do like three hour ones. So like mm -hmm. hour and then one, like two and a half hour deep dive. Cause, but it's just, it's hard because there's so much information to be, to be had. And I don't know how to leave it out. Cause I'm like, if this was my loved one, would I leave that out? And I have, I struggle with that. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I just put it in. Yeah. How do you handle kind of the, the politics of being in the true crime genre of people kind of objecting to, telling that person's story or, you know, there's a lot of people who are critical of that, of the genre. Mm, yeah, this is a hard one because I'm also very sensitive to like, I don't like to imagine it, but I'm like, okay, what if something like this happened to me in my immediate family? Like, what would I think? And I don't know because we, 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 we don't know. We don't know what we would feel like in those situations, but I would like to believe this is just, I guess my stance right now. I would like to believe that there's a lot of public, desire not just like for entertainment purposes but public awareness reasons why we should do this 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 and maybe not that um i definitely get worried that people will think i'm doing it for you know to hurt anyone or be offensive and i'm not but there's always going to be that possibility that there's a family that doesn't like the video up there however i mean now we're getting into like legal versus moral or ethical and that's that's something that i think we need to just have and see when you cross that bridge. I've had many families reach out to me and I always get super nervous right when I see their message because I'm like, they're going to hate me and they're going to tell me to take the video down. And um, by all means, if it was a family that came and was like, we absolutely just cannot have this up. I would talk to them about it and hope that we're on the same page because I feel like with my content, I truly get to know the person and I'm honoring them. Like my whole video is mostly about, and people get mad about it, but it's like, people that don't like my channel, I would say, they think I focus way too much on the victim. Like, come on, get to the story. And I'm like, what do you mean get to their death? Like, mm. what am I getting to? Because don't you want to know? Like, don't you want to know about this person? And I understand it's not everyone's, it's not everyone's thing. You know, they sometimes just want to know what happened, um, which is fine. But I think for me, I've had families reach out and thankfully nobody has ever said they were mad at me or wanted to take it down. It was actually the opposite. I had one person whose father was murdered by his mother. Um, he was 10 years old at the time. He found me on Twitter. I was so scared. I was shaking. I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, I don't know if I did something wrong. And we just had such an amazing conversation for like two hours on Zoom where he was just like, it made me cry. I think he was crying. Like we were just, he's our age now. Like he's my age now. Mm -hmm. And this happened a long time ago. And he was just like, even the thumbnail, I was like, oh, is he going to get mad? Because the title and the thumbnail were like, I think it was a torso found in the container. And I'm like, oh God, this is this guy's dad. Like what? Yeah. But ultimately he was so excited that somebody took the time to talk mm. about his dad. Like a lot mm. of these videos talk about the killer and like what his mom did and like getting into her mind. And he was just very thankful. And I hope that that's how families see my content. Yeah. How do you pick your stories? What, what stories are you drawn to? You know, I feel like there's so many. 
I would like to be one of those people that say like, I don't use my own re relatability, I guess you can say, but I can't take myself out of the equation as much as I don't like talk about personal things very much on my channel and stuff like that. I am drawn to what my soul or like my mind or like whatever it is, is drawn to in that moment. And a lot of times what I end up finding out is this person has some kind of something in common with me, whether mm -hmm. it's like, it could have been their favorite color. I, I could see somebody say like, orange is my favorite color. And I'm like, oh, I'm gonna do this case. Like, and and it, that sounds cheesy, but it's like, I'll just feel a connection and I'll wanna know more about the person. And then that's where I make my decisions. It has nothing to do with, you know, like what, what should I do next as in like a, a strategy. However, I do try to see what is going on in the media as far as like current event true crime, which I don't do. So I only do solved. So I'll say like, well, a lot of people are interested in university murders because this is what's happening. Mm. So why don't we shed some light on the people who came before? And a lot of the th same things happened to them. And like, let's, mm. let's look at that because, you know, maybe we can learn something about this case that's coming up. So you said you don't really write things down. Do you have like any sort of do you have like planned out content? Do you have a content calendar or anything that you have like that? Yes. So even though I don't have anything written down, I do have somebody that helps me. I hired someone and this is why I say there's the, you're going on a journey here and I want to scale, meaning like I want to, I'm trying to do a podcast channel and I'm trying to have guests on to come on and talk about true crime and I'm going to events, like doing all these different things that I want to do, but I also don't want my content to suffer because I think just putting videos out for the sake of putting them out is just not where I want to be. So I hired an assistant. I think she might be with me for a year now, but pretty, pretty long time now. And we just clicked. I tried so many people. Mm -hmm. I've interviewed people in person here. I've, it's just a very hard person to find that like thinks like you and gets mm -hmm. it. And, um, she's also from Florida and, uh, I'm from Florida. So, you know, it's just like little things like that, that we had in common. And, um, she helps me to kind of like present to me with cases and say, she knows what kind of cases that I gravitate toward. Mm -hmm. Um, so she'll make a list and I'll go through each one of them and I'll say like, no, this doesn't really work out, but like, I'm kind of interested in this one. And then I'll dive into that one a little bit more. So we do have a going list like all the time. And I kind of just look at that list and she goes and, and, and scopes things out that she thinks I might be interested in. And then sometimes, like I told you, like I find things by looking something up I'm interested in. So it's either or. Mm -hmm. And so you're in your studio right mm -hmm. now. Can you talk about your space and, and your filming? Yeah. So I love my space. Um, this is like my little sanctuary. It's actually not a huge room, but it's, it's it looks size. huge. It looks, it's like a bedroom. Like it's a bedroom okay. size room or like a normal, not like a, not like a main bedroom room, but it's, um, it's just a one room with a bathroom and a door. Like this is basically where I am, but this room is in a big studio, like soundstage, other rooms, podcast room, YouTuber room. Um, I'm just like in one little corner of the entire studio and my boyfriend owns the studio. And we basically are committed to helping other creators start this whole process. So we have everything that they need to just turnkey and come in here and do it. That's so but cool. this one was built for me. So, you know, this one I rent from the studio. So that's also something that we had not anymore because the rooms are totally rented, but um, this room is for rent and that's how this whole journey kind of started. <laughs> but um, <laughs> this room was transformed. I had some ideas. I got my ideas from a tattoo parlor in Salem, Massachusetts, where my cool. dad is from. Um, and I just was like, this is my space. Like I wanted my whole house to look like this tattoo parlor. So 
this is kind of where the inspiration came from. I love it. And then once you're done filming and you're in your editing process, I know you get meticulous with the editing sometimes. What is, mm -hmm. what's your editing process like? How do you determine oh, what makes a great yes. video? I think you and I talked about that because you were talking about, I think this might've been, because so I do have editors now in the process, like my management company has provided me with an editing team. In the beginning, that was really difficult for me. Um, it's just hard to, to know like what, it sounds funny, but like what other people's intentions are like, I don't know, like how they would view me or, or I don't know. I just would get very scared of my content being in someone else's hands because I mm -hmm. control my content and I know where it is and know where it goes and nobody can chop it up and put a whole bunch of weird pieces together of me saying something I didn't say, you know, just, but luckily they have like all the legalities like figured out and all this stuff is in a contract and they can't do that kind of stuff. But um, it was hard for me to let go of my creative process too. But what I did is I recorded a video for them of me editing and mm. how I edit and like how I like it to flow. And I would, I'm doing a voiceover for them. So I'm like, okay, you see how it could cut off here. I don't like that. That's a jump cut. I want it to, I want to pause. So I had to basically make this like 20 minute video showing them how to edit my stuff. And, um, I still re-edit it. Like when it comes back to me on a Wednesday, so my process is like, I start writing I send it in, I film on the weekends, send it in on Monday to the, to the editors, and then I get it back on Wednesday. So I get it back the day before it goes live. So that whole day I'm like sitting on my butt, which I do way too much of, and I'm just listening to it like a viewer. So I watch that same <laughs> three hour video that everybody <laughs> else is watching. I watch that thing and I'm like, okay, is there anything in here that just like doesn't flow, you know, stuff like that. So that's kind of my process right now. Mm -hmm. What makes a good flow? What makes a YouTube video flow well for you? For me, um, well, having a teleprompter, which I did from the beginning, I looked into having a teleprompter back when I did like my very first YouTube videos. Uh, I never really considered it. I actually would make fun of people because I never did scripts. So I'd be like, you need a teleprompter. Like you can't just <laughs> think of it in your head. But now I realize like I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> definitely stay on track and makes the editing process a lot smoother mm -hmm. if you're not making mistakes because mm -hmm. I I write my script I put my script inside my phone I have Siri read me my script and I, I listen to the way that it sounds and if there's things in there that I'm like what like who I'm getting all confused I like go back and I'm like okay we, we really need to figure out these characters and like who they are and I listen to it by the pool and I just like that's like a little time where I'm just you know, sitting and hanging out, but I listen to it on my headphones and then I'll go back to my writing and I will put it in my teleprompter. And that way, when I'm reading it, I've already heard it. I've already read through it. I know the cadence of what I want to say. And Siri helps me with that part, I guess. And then when I'm in my set, my teleprompter is in front of me right here. It's on the, it's, I'm staring at it right now. Mm -hmm. And I actually use a really old school one that people would probably make fun of me for because my boyfriend has a real like expensive one that he uses for clients and mm -hmm. it'll, it'll stop and start as you mm -hmm. talk. Okay. I don't have that one. So, <laughs> like, I don't have that one. <laughs> That's not mine, but I, um, I have the parrot teleprompter. It's super old. I don't even know if they mm -hmm. sell the same version and it's your phone. So your phone, yeah, which is great. Cause I get distracted by my phone. So my phone is not near me when I'm filming. Mm -hmm. So it's on the teleprompter and the, the script comes up on your phone. I was just going to show you, but the script comes up on your phone and then it mirrors it and you can read it. 
So. Yeah, I do something similar. It's I haven't heard of Parrot, but I have yeah a, a yeah Smart Pro app that I reflect on the teleprompter. Probably way better than what I have going on because mine it's like I'll show you what it looks like. You know, just yeah. On my phone. No, that's exactly what like, mine looks like. Yeah, and it's just it's great. And yeah. Now, obviously, we all make mistakes anyway because I'll cough or like you know something will happen. But right. um, at least that's easy to edit out rather than you're not in a train of thought that's like congruent to like what you were talking about before and you go on a tangent. Mm -hmm. Speaking of like teleprompters and Siri and stuff, do you have any other tools, AI, or I know we talked about Dynalist, any other tools that you recommend? Um, let me think. So I do use Siri and Dynalist and I'm trying to think of my teleprompter. Well, I use like Scribed and things like that, but that's more like places online that I get information from. Like I'll use Scribed. I have a membership to that. Uh, and then, of course, like Photoshop for my thumbnails, mm -hmm. which I, I think is a must, but people can use different ones. And uh, we just use Final Cut Pro, but mm -hmm. there's Premiere, which is way better. Uh, but no, not necessarily any other any other con uh, apps or anything. Yeah, keep it simple. If you could give one piece of advice to someone that's looking to start on YouTube, what would that be? I think that it's never too late and I don't think YouTube is going anywhere. So if you're thinking, oh, I've already missed the boat or, you know, I can't do this right now or I'm too old or whatever the excuses are, I think it's fine. You can start. I would recommend, you know, I think the biggest thing I would recommend is like the content you start to do, what I always see does well is like you have a passion for it. You're an expert of some kind. Doesn't mean you know everything, but like maybe you went to school in that subject or maybe you have a past that's correlating with it. But I think that passion, expertise, those are the two first things that I think goes into like longevity. Um, and then just the tools. And now we have things like Affirm and Afterpay. So that's how I got my stuff. You know, like I didn't, I couldn't afford like a really oh, sure. good camera. So those things I use to try to get started. Yeah. So you're able to kind of get the equipment, pay for it as you can, but just yeah. get started. I would get better equipment from the from the start. I mean, really? It's like, yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, going back, I'm looking at like when I started my true crime journey, I already had like a pretty decent camera microphone. Now I have like, you know, you're on your journey, you have better things, but I did that. I just did like a firm on like whatever the, I think it was focus camera has focus camera has a good one, but I got um, my camera, my lens, my lights. And yeah. we're doing the same thing with my podcast. We're starting, we had to get another camera. Like we can't move my camera cause it's like, yeah. So I had to do that all over again. So I did the same thing and it's really good. I think starting out with like the, I think a, a good enough camera where you can compete with the quality it doesn't have mm. to be crazy, but just, you know, you're not in and out of focus or really bad coloring or something like that. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned a podcast. What, what projects are you working on right now? What's next oh, for you? I feel like I have so many projects and I'm, I'm excited, but I, yeah torn at like very thin right now but um i have my main channel of course and then i wanted to do a podcast because i love the conversational aspect that i used to have with my best friend and mm -hmm. i really don't have that i just sit in a room and i just talk at the camera so i'm starting a podcast the channel's already up there it's called dark liberty and it's going to be a podcast video and it's going to launch you're only going to hear this here on Halloween. Ooh. So, yeah, I haven't told anybody about when, Ooh. but I, I'm not, and I'm not going to like announce that it's going to be then, but that's when it's going to launch. And um, so the first video will go out then. We might have a teaser video around um, 
CrimeCon. Like when CrimeCon happens, mm -hmm. I'll be there. So I think we'll do a teaser so that people can get a kind of an idea of what the set looks like in there. And it's modeled after my bedroom as a teenager in the 90s. Cool. So it's kind of like you're just sitting with a best friend and hanging out. Is it um, a true crime podcast? It is. It's a true crime podcast. And the the name Dark Livity is from like two words, dark and declivity. So it's just like the darkness of the mind and where it starts to just go down that slope. Mm -hmm. So these cases are going to be focusing more on a little worse than what I do on my channel, meaning, you know, we're going to dive into like some very heinous kind of crime. I mean, they're all bad, but more of like the mind and like what's going on and like how weird is this? And then we'll just talk about it. Mm-hmm. I love that. Cool. Well, thank you for being here. This has been of such course. a fun conversation. This was so fun. I know. I, I love I love talking and like getting on here with someone else. It's yeah, right? Yeah, it's a good I like that too. And it's been really it's cool to hear your process because I know like when when we met we were like on this uh, influencer weekend and you had like your, your computer and you were sitting there just like editing and you were so like oh, meticulous. Right. I do remember that. Yeah. That's kind of my personality, but that's actually how my boyfriend and I met is from me being at a party and be and editing. And he was like, what is this girl doing? And he, <laughs> we're also starting our own little vlogging channel and everyone's oh, yeah? so excited about it. But um, because I don't really get personal on my channel, we're starting a channel. We already started it. It's called like Actually Us from our tattoos. Okay. We have tattoos that says it yeah. somewhere. But um, yeah, we started that. It probably won't launch for like a couple months, but it's just somewhere to mem remember our journey and our relationship. I love that. Thanks again for being here. This is so fun and insightful. You give us yeah. some good knowledge nuggets. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for watching. If you enjoyed this, you can get in on the live Q&A sessions with everyone that I interview by joining the Catalyst Club. And the only way you can join the Catalyst Club is by joining Catalyst Academy, my course, linked in the description. Or check out a number of my free resources, which are also linked in the description. Thanks so much for watching. Have a good day. Bye-bye.